0: I jump out of bed because I love my life. Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive. Being myself, clarity will arrive. So I stand down and be J-U-I-C-Y. Stand down and be J-U-I-C-Y. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Get Fucking Real Show, where successful, soulful entrepreneurs give us some straight talk, And often confessions. And this particular show, this episode does not disappoint in the confession department. And in fact, what our guest shares is something that she has not shared publicly at all. So I am super honored that this show creates a platform and safety for people to show up authentically. And ironically, and not so ironically, Our guest today, her whole life's work is about authenticity. So let me ask you this question before I jump in and tell you more about her. Are you living life authentically? It's a really juicy question. I think our GFR commandments are a good roadmap for figuring that out, particularly number one, which is what are you tolerating? Because if there's a lot of things on that list, I imagine you are not living an authentic life. Well, our guest today has made authenticity a science, and her name is Norma Hollis. She is a master change catalyst who writes programs for human development. She has spent 30 years researching human nature from personal, professional, and spiritual perspectives. And that has led her ultimately to create her platform program called Authenticize. Now, her first career was as director of child development. And you'll hear how that study in college and then that career really informed and sort of like laid the groundwork for her, you know, later expressions of her work. She also was the first black woman to own a speakers bureau, which was here in the LA area. And that is how she became an entrepreneur and she developed programs for speakers to help them with their success. Now, Norma and I go way back um, because she's in the LA area and I've been speaking and coaching and doing stuff in this, you know, I'm in Orange County, California, which is just South of LA between LA and San Diego. For those of you that are not super familiar with California geography. So that means, you know, I've been doing this for 24 years. So that means that I was speaking and coaching and, you know, doing programs and stuff in this area, you know. Right around the time that she had her speaker's bureau and she reminded me we also met at an event that I spoke at. I don't know, I just feel this particular kinship with Norma and I'm just amazed. Like I can't even find the words, which is so unusual for me. Like her story and who she is as a person and how she has experienced life is very unique. And I I cannot say that lightly. It's very unique. And you will right off the bat, you're going to hear that. Like, Here's a great example. She says, I live a very obedient life. Now, it doesn't mean what I thought it initially meant and what you may think it means. It doesn't mean that she was obedient and went along with like what society wanted for her and got married and the kids and the, the whole thing. What she means is She has lived very obedient to her assignment that she was given as a soul before she came here in this lifetime, and very obedient to how God has informed her or instructed her throughout her life. And that is just the tip of the iceberg (laughs) when it comes to Norma Hollis and how unique her journey is. And the journey and the trauma and the challenges and the ways that she has been like brought to her knees in this lifetime is actually not even the major part of her story, which makes us a very unique interview and makes us a very unique telling of a story. And my intention is that you are as changed. As an individual, as I am from this story. And not just really her story, but just who she is. Like getting to hang out with her for the next hour or so is gonna change you as a person. It's gonna have you see a lot of your struggle in a very different way. It's gonna have you possibly be connected to something so far greater than yourself that it will make things that currently in your life feel confusing not be confusing. And I know that I'm really building it up and I have no worries that you will be at all disappointed by this conversation. I will also tell you that for the GFR squad, she goes into depth into her authenticity grid, which breaks down authenticity into a scientific, measurable, diagnosable way and it is brilliant and it is brilliant and uh, if you want to connect with her you will definitely want to use the link in the show notes called giftsfromnorma.com and she's going to be doing all kinds of new stuff actually there with webinars and things like that she's 72 y'all you you won't even believe it like i'm telling you she's 72 and i want you to keep reminding yourself of that as you hear this interview and she is hitting her stride She is hitting her stride. She's an extraordinarily impressive entrepreneur and person. And oh, oh my gosh. Okay, I will stop talking. I cannot wait for you to meet her. Without further ado, Miss Norma Hollis. Norma Hollis, welcome to the GFR show.
1: Thank you, Lisa. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Me too. Me too. And it's funny, y'all, when we were getting ready for the interview, I said to Norma, I'm so excited. I'm so looking forward to this. And she said, why? I'm curious why. And you'll know, you'll know as we go through the conversation why I was so excited. But most of my guests, I guess, up you know, I'm, I'm at we're at 90 something episodes now. But a majority of my guests I know pretty well or, you know, I know somewhat of their story. But Norma was a really mostly intuition. I just knew, I knew there was good stuff (laughs) because of who she is and how she has shown up in the space that we share now with the evolutionary business council. And I knew that we knew each other for, you know, knew of each other for a long time. So I thought I have to have her on the show and I'm excited to, as your story unfolds for people to get to know, get to know you and who you are today it's just a wonderful expression of what it is like to be a conscious, intentional entrepreneur, and the journey that we go through, all the way through to your current expression of your work, your authenticity work, which I can't wait to to kind of unveil at the end. So that's why I'm excited, Norma.
1: <laughs> well, good. But your excitement gives me excitement. I kind of like that. Your your excitement excites me.
0: Awesome! Great. We'll just like keep exciting each other. Okay, so you are in L- up the road from me in LA right now. Where did you grow up? Detroit. I
1: grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I have a sister who was born in the same year. She was born in January. I was born in December. So,
0: um, I- God bless your mother.
1: <laughs> yeah, my family was one of the first black families in the Russell Woods community of uh, Detroit. My dad was a dentist. My mother was a teacher. And I only learned about two years ago, after the George Floyd incident, that when my father bought a house, bought the house in, in Russell Woods, it was because the, of the GI Bill, because that was the first time African Americans could purchase, could get a mortgage, and because he was a dentist in the in World War II, he was able to purchase a house. So I did not, I did not know that. They couldn't buy houses until then. So that was a history lesson for me. and, it, and wow. since I lived there now I, I had a better understanding of it. And that's why we won of the first black families in on um, Fullerton Street in Russell Woods. yeah.
0: And how did that come? How was it that it came out during or at after George Floyd's murder? How, well, how there was that you-
1: There was more stuff, more information available and i'm I'm an information junkie in many ways. i you know i am a researcher. I love to explore things. And as I went down the road that I was that of the doors that opened for me, I got to a recording a video of a man talking about it. and I just I said, oh, that makes that that makes my history make make a little more sense. so yeah,
0: yeah. and what was that like being the first black family in that neighborhood for? And how did you I feel did, like that impacted your sort of your identity at the time?
1: The only real thing that I can say for me that I experienced that was racial was a slight thing. And I realized it later. And I was probably in maybe first grade. The teacher was having all of the students come to the board and write their name. And I was so excited because I was I was an A student. There's no question about it. But she never did me. She just passed me right by. And I never really wow. understood it until years late years later, and I just you know that just was my life was like that a lot, and I just never let it, I never let it really bother me. So either when my family didn't understand me, or people didn't understand me, or whatever, I just realized, okay, so I'm different. Fine, that's that's who I am. I'm moving right along. So you know, yeah. So that was probably the beginning of some of that that occurred in my life. A lot. That's
0: quite. An amazing clarity that you had as a young person to say, "Oh, I—I I guess I'm different. Okay, I'm fine." And I gather you're not just referring to the color of your skin. Like there, that, that there was other things about you that made you different, and that was fine.
1: Yes. Well, I realized I was different at age two years old. My father tells the story of he was trying to teach me my name, and he said, "Your name is Norma. What's your name?" And I would say, my, he said, no, not my name, your name. What's your name? Your name is Norma. Say Norma. I said, my, and I guess he figured I have this stupid daughter. Why can't she learn her own name? And I'm saying to myself, good Lord, he doesn't understand me. It's going to be so hard out here on this place. That's what I (laughs) remember.
0: (laughs) That's amazing that you remember that. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm just thinking of my daughter and the intentional, what I'll call effort to have her feel okay, regardless of what her, who she is and how she expresses. And so I can't imagine what it was like to have such clarity, so young, to say, you know, I'm different and, and that's fine. Like to just feel like this is gonna be my journey. And you know, you didn't say I'm okay, but that's fine, kind of sounds like, and I'm okay.
1: Well, I actually have memories of before birth. I remember. I have memories of receiving my assignment before getting here. So, your eyes just got so big. I
0: love it. And what I want to know is, when did you realize you had those memories? When and how did you realize you had those memories? I've always known
1: it. I tried to tell it to my parents, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't listen. They didn't believe me. They didn't. They. That's why I said I got used to being different. By the time I was in first grade, fine. I got it at home. They didn't get it either. So fine whatever I still have this this thing within me that still drives me forward so whatever I'm still gonna do what I what I have to do what I'm here to
0: do I'm fine what I'm gonna add whatever to I'm fine that's fine whatever <laughs> <laughs> I mean what do
1: you do you know and I searched I searched for a long time in my childhood to find someone to talk to but then everybody always poo pooed everything that I said and never really listened to me and I think my mother even, called in somebody to interview me to see if what I was saying was real or, or you know, what do we do about it? And I think he told her to ignore it and just, and it'll go away. Well, I told my sister about five years ago, you see, it never went away. <laughs> I'm old yeah. now, it never went away. It never went away. It just kept blossoming. So,
0: you know. Do you think that's why your first career was in child development?
1: My first career in child development, I went to college in the interior design field. My mother was always redecorating the house and I, and I always helped and I loved it. And I'm a visual is one of my gifts. So that's when I went to school under and they told me, I found out I had to learn art. As a matter of fact, I remember being in sixth grade. In sixth grade, my art teacher told me, you know, you could be a great artist, Norm. And I thought a minute and I said, no, God has something else for me to do, but I'm gonna marry an artist. And I went, around, went along like, well, he looked at me like that. Well, like, your eyes got big. He said the same thing. But anyway, so that takes me to my interior design. They wanted me to more, more, learn more art than I wanted to learn. And I didn't have the patience to want to learn it. And I had a brother who was 15 years younger than me. And so I'm in college and he's now four years old. And early childhood was a new curriculum at Michigan State University. And so I transferred to that. I've lived what I call a very obedient life. And so that was just another example of me being obedient to what my instructions were or what I felt my assignment was. So, and now in hindsight, I can see that early childhood was significant in the work that I do, because that's actually how I learned human development because my degree is actually in child and family life sciences. So I learned a lot about human development. And and built on that information decades later, the foundation
0: for me. I live a very obedient life. I've had guests say similar things, but they were not talking about being obedient to their divine assignment. They were talking about being obedient to what they thought they should do, that they should get married and they should get a degree and they should have kids and they should, you know, they should, you know, create wealth and security. And then realizing that that did not give them fulfillment. So I but much prefer your version of I live a very obedient life, obedient to your assignment. Well, they were living
1: They were living the shoulds of society. And that's exactly what I teach to go around. Because society, if you follow society's guidance, no one will ever be authentic. They'll just be the robots that society moves you. You know, I wrote up 28 was a significant year for me. And I wrote a poem then, which is one of my signature poems. And the end of the poem says, well, the poem talks about how people are one thing, but they live life being something else or not being themselves. The last part of the poem says, how did we get this masquerade, this parade of people playing people, this charade of life's reality? And that's really what I spent the next rest of my life studying. How did we get this stupid masquerade that we're living in? And so that helps me explain why I got moved to the early childhood field, because that helped me to see when young children come into the world, they come into the world with great exuberance about the gifts and talents that they have. If they sing, they sing loudly. If they like music, they're banging on stuff all the time. They're talking if they're verbal skills. They're drawing if they've got visual skills. They're dancing if they've got bodily kinesthetic skills. They're asking questions if they're mathematical, logical. Whatever they're being themselves. And then tired mommies and daddies say, don't talk so loud, don't sing so loud, don't beat on the table I'm tired, go watch TV or something like that. And so kids start getting shut down so early and they back off from what it is that's their gift to do. And sometimes they end up doing it so much that they end up in the cubicles that they started in kindergarten, and first grade. So they go to preschool, preschool teacher says, Come on in, play how you want to play. They're happy, they're cold. like, Bathroom, when you want to go to the bathroom, fine. Get home, mom says, Don't talk so loud, back up. Get to kindergarten, first grade, raise your hand, hold your pee. You can't go when you want to go. to go when I tell you to go. You got to get structured they get in the structure, they stay there and do the shoulds. They should get married at 20. They should have a baby at 20. Well, if you do that at 20, you're stuck financially for the rest of your life. You've got a mortgage the rest of your life. You've got babies to feed the rest of your life. Then, therefore, the decisions that you make are not going to be decisions that are going to be for your thriving. They're decisions for your surviving. So it, it starts you from the beginning. So the ones that say those shoulds, got stripped of their authenticity early. And so then when I have my speaker bureau, which is the, uh, the business, the first business that I had, and I met so many speakers and would come to me and say, Norma, you know, I wanna speak. I lost myself. I worked in corporate for 20 years and I had to be who they wanted me to be. I don't know who I am anymore. Can you help me? And I see it over and over and over and over again. And people, so I've been examining what's the transition from the happy-go-lucky preschoolers who know who they are and express it freely to the corporate turnarounds or whatever you call them, or not just even just corporate, any any full-time job, you have to pretty much adapt to that environment. I directed Head Start programs, the nonprofit mentality. It's a different one than the corporate, but it still is a mindset that I had to shift from big time when I decided to go on my own and be an entrepreneur and trust myself. But most people, they, they lose trust in themselves. They lose the faith in themselves. And that's why I do the work that I do. One of the reasons to get people to really step into who they were born to be, because they, most of the people forgot.
0: Yes. And you had trust and faith in yourself from a very, very early age. That's what I'm hearing.
1: Well, what I, what I believe about my soul's journey is that in my last existence, I did something wrong. I don't know what I did wrong, but I did something wrong. <laughs> I'm trying to get it all right this time.
0: That's yeah. So you had a particular poignant turning point when you were 28. Can you share with us what that was?
1: Well, I think that was the year I went to Walden. Walden was a non-traditional master's program. I drove down from Detroit to Florida with a girlfriend. And it was a a very strange experience. That was the year that I realized I had done everything my parents had said to do. I had become the African-American daughter of a bourgeois family and was expected to marry the same, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I didn't even understand what marriage was. I don't think most of us don't at that age anyway. But anyway, I found that I was married with a husband, with a good job. I had a good job. We had cars. We had a good house. And I was miserable. And I didn't know what to do with myself. And I didn't know who I was. And so that's when I, I also went to, I also had ear surgery that year. I sure did. And it didn't work. I have, I've had a hole in my ear. My, my story of eight, which I have to tell you, is the pointed story of my life. Twenty-eight was the second round of it. So okay, let's do it. Okay, but let me. Okay, I'll do. I'll do eight first. Then so eight. I told you about two. Two was when my father and I had the conversation, and that's when my mother said that my hair changed overnight. As African American girls, children, all of our hair comes out like yours. It's just silky and straight and stuff. But most of us. But it changes and by two, I still had it. And my mother felt, whoa, I got a child that's gonna have, I won't have to worry about trying to comb that kinky hair and all that stuff. And anyway, my hair changed overnight when I was two. And yeah. my mother said she cried. And so that's significant to my story as well. But anyway, at eight, I woke up on July 5th with dots on my pillow that turned out to be a hole in my eardrum from a cold, from a, a weak station tube. So I went to the ear, nose, throat doctor, and he found out what it was, put me on antibiotics. Antibiotics didn't work. I was allergic. Went to the hospital. They only found one thing from a culture that would stop the infection. It had to be applied topically. Went to the doctor's office the next day, sat in the chair. It was like a dentist chair. My mother held my arm. The nurse held my feet. The doctor tilted my head to the side and pulled out a long to looked like a sewing needle, put some cotton at the end, dip it into a solution, and then put it into my ear. It touched my eardrum. It felt like acid on the inside of my head. Oh. And I hollered and hollered and hollered, and the nurse and my mother held me. and um, I finally settled down to one whimper, and all the way home, I kept telling my mother to slow down because, Every time she would hit a bump in the road, the liquid in my ear would hit another space to, to be painful. And I got home and slowly walked up the stairs to take my clothes off and put my pajamas on. It wasn't until I got into bed that I could lay my head on the pillow and, and cry myself to sleep. And I had changed my personality. I went. That was a Saturday. I went back to school on Monday. And I remember Edward Cohen, one of my good friends. you've changed the hospital changed you you've changed what happened to you? and uh, I I couldn't even tell I couldn't even explain all I could do was cry I couldn't explain it it was so Ooh, uh, ooh, sometimes it gets me when I go back to it Mm -hmm. so anyway I had to go back and have it done again and again I don't remember how many times and I told my mother why do you tell me I had to go back because I didn't want you to have to worry about it so I learned how to have fun in the in-between times that was a a lesson I taught myself very early in life. And I didn't have anyone to really help me understand how to deal with all of this. And that's when several things happened. That's when the voices started speaking to me. And Uh that's when the voices, I was walking to school one day and they started speaking. And I said to the voices, I said, okay, if you're the voice I should listen to, I said, let somebody walk by with red socks and let someone mention the word elephant in the conversation. And maybe I'll believe you. And in the next week, both of those things happened. In the next three or four or five weeks, I don't know, I kept asking for more evidence and they kept showing it. And they finally said, Do you believe me now? I said, Yes. So I have had that relationship ever since then. I'm diverging just a minute. I'm going to come back to my story. I talk about age nine, write that age nine down in case I forget. So Thanksgiving. About four years ago, a friend of mine from Toastmasters came by and he had on red socks. (laughs) I
0: said,
1: said, well, if I find if someone mentions the word elephant in a conversation in the next week, then I'll be confident that whatever it was I was working for that time, that'll give me confirmation. And I heard elephant on Family Feud once. I said, but that's not really personal, you know, but I'll take it if that's (laughs) all I did. But Thursday, one week later, exactly, I met a friend of mine's event. And she's talking about how we get stuck. And she talks about how we get stuck in us like an elephant. She said, like an elephant. If you tie a string to an elephant and put him to a, a stake, he goes in a circle, he'll never go outside that circle. I said, wow, there is a confirmation. But the true confirmation came actually in 2019. It came earlier, but I didn't recognize it in 2019. I was given an event. It was my last event, live event before, no, second last event before COVID hit. And I was, I like to bring, my, orange is my branding color. And I like to bring orange things with me. And I went upstairs to look for some. And, and then I found i found more. a few things.
0: But I had one that was screaming at me.
1: It said, take me, take me, take me. And he says, I'm your mascot. I'm your I mascot. Love,
0: I have an orange car, Norma. I have an orange <laughs> car. I love it. I love, <laughs> it. I love it. So it says, take me. I said, I'm
1: your mascot. And I looked at it and I grabbed it and I said, oh my God, this is something that my husband, when I was murdered before, about three years before he was murdered, he, he gave to me as a gift. He says, I don't know why I bought this, but I just had to buy it. It said, buy me. And I could not buy it. So here it's yours. My branding color is orange. It's an orange elephant with red wet- <laughs>
0: Y'all, I wish you could see this if you. I wish you could see it. it. is is the cutest orange elephant with like red little red feet and red hearts around his neck. And oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so
1: I have some new pictures. I'm going to give you one that has that has my okay. picture.
0: Oh great, so, perfect. That'll be great. That'll be so great. That's, that's a part of a. That's a
1: long term. That's one of my long term many long term confirmations of who I am and why I'm here on the planet. Now I'm going to go back to age nine. And I told you about the ear and the pain. Now I'm having earaches regularly. I'm having earaches. They have doctors come by. They give me shots. They don't stop. They give me pills. They don't stop. They give me eardrops. They don't stop. I'm in Buffalo, New York, which is where my mother grew up. And my grandfather is a Baptist minister. And the earache comes. And I told them, well, will you bring me a woman doctor this time? Because the men can't help. And so they did, (laughs) but she couldn't help me either. And that's what my mother says, call Papa. And Papa is Baptist minister, her father. So he takes me in the bedroom and he lays me down on the bed. And he says, Norma, God must have something very important for you to do to give you so much pain at a young age. He Mm. says, will you do it? I said, well, Grandpa, can I ask one thing of God? He says, sure. I said, can I ask God to give me the training for what I'm supposed to do. And I thought of that. And I said, by the age of 30, so I could have a life of my own. And he kind of chuckled a little less like he did. He just chuckled just a little bit. And he said, even he realized it serious. So then he said, Yes, I'm sure God will do that. And he put his hand on my ear and he prayed and I fell asleep. And I never had that level of pain again. And when it started to come, Grandpa just told me, You can stop the pain yourself. And then I taught myself to do that. Wow. So,
0: what an amazing influence at such a young age like that's the the theme that I'm I don't I, I don't know if you're I imagine you're present to this but because that's why your work now is in the field of authenticity it's like you had such you had such profound training. And such profound awareness at such a young age, like where most people have to get to the point where they're miserable and then they or they have to have a spiritual epiphany and, you know, life changing experience. And then they and or the voices come and then they go and they don't come back until they're 60. And oh, now I'm honoring the voices. And I feel like what I'm hearing you say is that you discovered the voices. You haven't said who the voice is. Who, who do you see the voice being? I remember I was in my,
1: I guess it was right before 28, because I was still in Detroit. I moved to California at 29, I think it was. And I had somebody at my house, I don't know who it was, and we were talking about Jesus and God. And I was talking about God, I talk about God. And he says, Wait a minute, you can't talk to God unless you go through Jesus. I said, Well, who am <laughs> I talking to all these years? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, God, so you identify the voice as God.
1: Well, I I identify it as, because I have voices, those, the nine dimensions behind me that represent my grid represent the nine energies that I found within me. So Mm. uh, each of them in my, in in their own way, speak to me. Now, what I haven't said to you and have not said publicly ever at all, is that I recognize that I'm a walk-in and you know what a walk-in is? Tell us. (laughs) A walk-in is just like a soul exchange. It's a soul that comes onto the planet completely conscious and takes the body of someone that's here that, for whatever reason, decides not to be here. And most walk-ins walk in as adults, and they're fully conscious that they're walk-ins. I know a community. I spoke at the first walk-in annual conference several years ago. And one of the people that gave the conference, Celeste, Blue Star, she calls herself, she talks about her walk-in experience where she was with a, her family and she walked out, or the body she was went in, walked out to the ocean to swim. And she entered the body and walked back with totally white hair. And they're like, who are you? What happened to you? And what happens though, because of the consciousness of the walk-in, the family relationship severs or or changes, or it's never yeah. the same. And
0: they often, know something's different. The family knows something different,
1: and and yeah. the person does too. So I have other friends, but I don't. I won't mention their name, but I don't know if they have gone public with it or not. Who are also walk-ins, but my the difference with me is I walked in at age two and
0: i that's thought when your hair changed
1: <laughs> yeah yeah my hair changed exactly because something physical always happens with people with walk-ins something happens you know because there's a it's, it's a change so i had to figure all this out that's why i, I couldn't answer your your question from this to that cuz my mind was from confusion and fear to confidence and trust and knowing that believing that i made some mistake before knowing that i had before birth assignment, knowing that I've got confirmation that I walk in, knowing that grandpa said you have something to do. All this is confirmation at a very young age. So by eight, nine, I remember by 13, I knew very clearly that I hadn't, I didn't know what it was. I I didn't know what it was till I got to be 50 or so years old. So I'm walking blindly the whole time, but just letting spirit lead me. And And the other things that happened at age eight that was very significant, that was probably. Two was a time, eight was a time, 28 was a time. I guess there were three things I say that happened at age eight. The second thing that happened is that's when I started the journey of taking antibiotics that I've been taking for 40, that I took for 40 years straight and totally messed up my system. I'm dealing with something now even because of antibiotics. I have to, I really change my diet pretty much every year. All the antibiotics kind of ate away the cilia in my intestines, which means that Foods most people eat, my body doesn't move them, so I have to make sure. I just, I just changed this year. I've been dealing with a two-year bacterial infection that they can't get rid of. So I I just like, just like the antibiotics first caused me to have a really bad case of candida albicans. So as I was turning fifty, I realized that the doctors couldn't help me. Spirit led me to the right book to read to figure out what to do. I found the right doctor. Took five years to heal it, and very expensive, but very necessary. So I keep changing my diet. Then I, I told you I've had, I've had thirteen surgeries, and every surgery has been a mystical experience. Some very, very, very deep, and some very connected. And the three of them have been for my ear. And just so, just just so coincidentally, just two days ago, I saw my ear doctor, who gave me the first first time in sixty-five years, and I've heard that my ear is healed. First time, it's been that long of a are three surgeries. The antibiotics last time I had a fungal infection for the last four years that we finally got, got taken care of. We have had three surgeries. It's been an experience. So that was one of the, of the major forks in the road that the ear created. The second was the deep spiritual connection, you know, that I have. And then the third, it led me to the work that I do because the 30 years, when I asked grandpa if I get my training by 30 years, you know, God has a sense of humor my <laughs> 30 years, I, by 28, I'm figuring I'm directing head, head start preschool programs. You know, I'm ready to start my life and all, but what I found out is that I was starting the 30 years. It didn't start the 28th. So when it started with me dissecting myself in a format similar to that, recognizing the nine energies and then exploring how did we get this masquerade, this parade of people playing this charade of life's reality. And so that's been my journey. So like it's, Jen, Before we started the interview, we were talking and I was saying it's only been the last three years that I've really gotten to get it out there. I had 30 years to create it, 12 years to figure out what is it and what does it do, and three years to figure out how do I get it out in the world and where. And so now I'm just at the apex of that, you know, when you called and said, you know, we're not going to be a guest. So and I'm also realizing just as we're talking that this is the culmination of my ear finally healing. I think I've got the bacterial infection pretty much healed. I've got the program tight now and we're doing all of our internal back office and front office stuff. And I'm really ready to rock and roll. And I've I've done a little bit, I put a little toe out there on it and I got bombarded. I said, oh, wait a minute, I gotta hold up. I gotta tighten up this process. I'm getting more response than I expected. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's a really good place to be, so. Uh, confidence and trust, but all because I trusted my voice. I had trusted the inner parts, even when there was no money coming in. I had one year that I survived because at the time I had two properties and both of them flooded.
0: Oh and my gosh. It was
1: strange. Yeah. I mean, not flooded that I that I had changed the flooring. I mean, because I have wooden floors on both of them. And I just put, you know, the fans out, no, no mold, none of that. It was great. Got a nice check. And then somebody nicked my car. I got another check. So I got three insurance checks in one year. And that got me through plus whatever little tidbits, but I could not work. The spirit would not let me work. It would not let me. I left Head start in 1996 and started the Speaker Bureau, First Michael Imedoni Bureau. Didn't know what the heck I was doing. Got all kind of accolades. Didn't understand the value of them. Who goes from a nonprofit to an entrepreneur without taking a breath? Norma did because... Didn't learn. Yeah, lesson.
0: and normally I would ask people tell me how that happened, but for you, I feel like you woke, you probably went to sleep one day, said I'm going to do this, and woke up one day and said I'm. Probably <laughs> oh. not much of a story. That's exactly <laughs> what you I did. did it. I said, What's <laughs> next? You know, okay, the head starts
1: gone. You know, I learned I can speak, so I started speaking. There's a lady named Susan Levin that had. Uh, I, know,
0: I remember Susan. Uh huh.
1: I got in her directory, started speaking for free. It was one thing to speak to angry employees, you know, but now I was talking about my message. People like, so I got going. And But the candida from the health would not let me travel and be a speaker. So because I, I wasn't healthy enough. You know, there was food wasn't good. I, I got sick too much. I had no energy. But spirit said, you can teach other people. So I said, OK, I'll start a bureau. So I started a bureau. I didn't do any research, nothing. Just started a bureau. Here's my shingle. I'm a bureau. <laughs> amazing. It but is
0: amazing. And
1: I got, I got press everywhere. People tell me, how you get so much publicity? I don't know. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did it. But I got in serious, serious debt. But I got out of that. But now I know, you know, decades later that in the Black community and maybe beyond, some see me as a legend. I didn't know that. They said, me, you're a legend, Norm. I heard that like three or four times in a six-month period once. I said, I am? Okay, cool. What'd I do? Okay. But I found, you know, I'm starting, I'm deciding what to call myself now because now I'm recognizing that the authenticity was just a part of the step, the process. So what I'm realizing that I, what I do with people is I'm a change agent. I changed the preschool or the early childhood industry because I created, I write programs for human development. And I wrote a program that took children out of preschool programs and took them through a series of assessments to identify where they may have unrecognized deficits that parents could focus on. Find gross mm-hmm. motor, speech and language. I forgot. We had several different components we did. And we did it in Michigan and in Ohio. So I had it in three different cities in two states. And that was in my 20s. So I modified Ohio. that agency. when I when I left it, the girl pick it up and, and start doing the same thing. She just copied my pattern and did the same thing. So I'm an innovator, a pioneer. I haven't always known how to monetize my pioneering work. I've always saw myself as this, I'm a walk-in change agent. So I'm just supposed to go around and change things. That's what I was doing. So then the same thing with the Speaker girl because when I started speaking and then finding people like my message and just examining, I have a part of my, one of my major gifts is the mathematical logical, which means I can see the big picture on the problem solve. And I'm also very existential. That's another gift. So I can see beyond, you know, what is.
0: Clearly you can.
1: (laughs) So I recognized the need to help. I didn't know that there were no other black bureaus run, um, you know, operated or started by women. I knew that I had met a guy doing a black one, but I wasn't doing a really good job of it. And I just stepped, stepped in and started doing it and ended up getting, um, a wonderful woman working with me. I never really ran the Bureau at all. And Denise that I hired, I have these nine personalities, like I mentioned. One of them is a really great personality. And Denise had that all the time. I didn't have it all the time, but she had it all the time. And she loved, loved, loved that job. And I got to be the first black woman running the Bureau and it got to be fairly large size. I booked a lot of speakers and all across the United States. And we had it for about 14 years. And then Denise got um, sick with diabetes and had to stop working. And I had one of my girlfriends from high school had moved out here to help me out. And then her father got sick. She had to go back to Michigan. So in a month, I had no employees and it was a recession. So it was time to stop and I had already started my authenticity program. So I modified that agency. I modified that industry. I changed that industry because after I started my bureau, a lot of the larger white bureaus started opening up black departments. And and booking more black speakers, and then there were a number of boutique black speakers that started up. And then I also—that was my my business education. I didn't go to school to get an MBA. I ran a bureau to get an MBA, and to learn (laughs) how to. I I was always been I was always impatient with school and professional. Me too. So, and now I'm making major impact in the coaching industry. I am a—I don't know if you know what WBEX is, World Business Executive Coaches Summit and WBX has been around about a dozen years. They touted to have over 150,000 coaches internationally. And at one point they looked for coach hosts because they give summits on a, pretty much a weekly basis. And I was selected as one of uh, six coach hosts, several years ago, I'm doing that about five years. I'm the only black coach host. So when Black Lives Matter came up, I asked them, what are you guys gonna do? You know, they, they sent out an email, um, saying that they supported Black Lives Matter. And so I reached out and said, what are you guys gonna do? They said, I don't know, you want it?" So they allowed me to host a panel of black women. I picked the women. And they, I think they were very, very surprised that they had over 3,500 people sign up for the webinar and over 1,500 actually attended. And they get those numbers often, but not, not, they were surprised to get it for this particular situation. And what I was very surprised at—it was a very, very successful webinar, and the energy that the women brought, the maturity, the knowledge, the comfort that—and the way we were answered questions—it was just very, very well received. And what my surprise was is how many young black women reached out to me, and they all said the same thing: they said, "Who are you? Where did you come from?" I didn't know there were any mature black women coaches. Can you imagine
0: nice?
1: Yeah, so it's you know one of them now is is teaching my signature course that I have. So she joined up, and um you know I'm looking for more people that because i'm I'm expanding rapidly. I'm looking for teachers, coaches, speakers, facilitators, trainers that are interested in being a part of this revolution or movement that we're doing because now I'm taking the people that I've trained and having them, do all the little pieces that I've developed in the past. I've always believed in, when I directed programs and all that, and I had my speaker bureau, all of this. Oh, by the way, I wanted to mention this too, The WBEX had this competition two years ago. They started and they, and they, they competed to, you competed to present your work at WBEX. And I won one of the competitions and I won enough that I won to deliver it twice in one year. So I spoke four times in one year with WBEX, which is unheard of. So that's a bit of the modification. And even if the Blacks being in the speaking, and then now I have, I refer to my company as a coaching company, because that's really what we're doing. So I'm modifying that agency in some ways as well. So I am, a, and I'm looking at refer, how I'm going to refer to myself. I've taught my others who are going to do what I've done. And now I'm seeing myself as a sort of as a master change catalyst, because I am, I'm a catalyst for change. I don't necessarily go into it intentionally, but I intuitively see the gaps in individuals and in organizations and societies and find ways to be, to begin to fulfill them. So I think that's my bigger picture that was the bigger thing that God sent me here to do that, that grandpa told me. And when spirit told me that I needed to confess, if you will, that I am a walk-in, I said to spirit, well, you gotta give me proof first. <laughs> I mean, do I have the proof now? Do I have the proof? Is it is it is it provable? send <laughs> up. Absolutely,
0: it? absolutely, absolutely. And I'm honored to have you confess such a profound and beautiful thing in this forum of the GFR show. And this mm-hmm. interview and you it explains I'm so glad you confessed it because I really feel like you are such who you are and the the trajectory of your life and how early on you knew that you were different and you accepted it and you know that you heard the voices and you kept hearing the voices never stopped listening and hearing the voices and letting that guide you is i've never heard of that from anybody it's it's always you know, I was this when I was young, and then you know, I forgot it, or I told I could, I couldn't be it, or I conformed. You know, and then years and years and years and years later, struggle, whatever. You know, they finally get back there, and I just feel like you didn't have that journey. You didn't have to get back, even though you, you know, had different phases of your career, aka your training, <laughs> your thirty years of training, right? Yeah. You know, I I feel like there was never a part of you where you were like, I am, was com- maybe when you went into interior design and then went to child development, I feel like, you know, there wasn't any long periods of time where you really felt like, wow, I am just really off my path. And that is a very extremely, extraordinarily unique in in my vantage point. And I've been talking to people for 25 years and I've, you know, i thousands of people in their journeys and like they what birthed this show was this acute awareness of people that are doing mission driven businesses and how they all had some form of struggle and usually up leveled and evolved through struggle and that it that, that wasn't really acknowledged. It was sort of like no we need to avoid the struggle we need to avoid the pain you know but to really embrace trauma embrace struggle and I'm hearing that from you as well. I mean, you mentioned your husband was murdered in a sentence that, and there was no energy on it. There was no, it was just, this is part of my story. And that is extremely extraordinary.
1: Well, the husband that two things I want to mention about two husbands. So with Robert, the one that was murdered, I was with him before birth. We were in a cocoon together, a cocoon, like, environment when we were awakened. And that's when I was taken to get my instructions and we were separated then. And I was told about my entire life up to age 50, but I wasn't given any information about after 50. And I was always anxious when I make it past 50. And that's because of his, of his murder, because they, I didn't, I did not need to know that because it, it, had oh. to happen. it had to happen on its own. And his murder, I've talked to my friends, my spiritually connected friends who know who I am about why it happened like that. And they all said the same thing to get my attention, to get me to to refocus me because I was getting a little bit off focus. I was really, he was, he was becoming blind. I knew, I knew as when I was younger that I'd only have 14 years and all this is just coming back, but you know, but I'd only have 14 years of, of matrimony of, of, of a blissful relationship. Like you don't have to worry about who I am. And I really pushed it to 16 years and then we separated. And he was, I, I remember even spirit asking me, how long are you going to keep catering to Robert? And I said, as long as he's around. And it was burdensome in some ways, you know. I so
0: he, you were separated when he was we murdered. We have divorce.
1: been divorced for two years. I had to, he was, he was irresponsible in a lot of ways. And it was impacting in the amount, and the amount of energy that I would have had to put on it would have distracted from my purpose. And like I said, I made a mistake in the last one. I'm not making a mistake. I'm not picking anything first, but what I got to do, I'm very clear on that. So, and I even tell my meet men now, look, this is what I'm doing. So, if you want to be in my life, you got to work around what I have to do.
0: <laughs> You're like a magnet. I'm sure. There's, I want to be near her more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what one said. It makes you more alluring. So,
0: <laughs>
1: Anyway, I'm, I enjoy my life, needless to say, but it hasn't been. It hasn't been easy. So. Robert, did I finish my point with Robert? I'm not sure if I get or not, but with Oliver, that was my first marriage. I made the decision at some way and somewhere along the way that, well, if all this God stuff is real, it will come back to me because I'm gonna get married and I'm gonna live this life anyway. Well, I think, I think that might've been what led to my dark night at 28. So, because that's when I left him and realized this is, no, this is not what I want. This is not what I want. So I did have that, but it was very early.
0: But it sounds like it was almost a challenge to God, sort of saying, like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. And if, like, if I'm meant to do this other thing or have a different path, then it'll come back to me. Like, and it, and it sounds like it did, you know, it's sort of like, I'm going to do what you're supposed to do for here, just for a little while. <laughs> what those, what the, yeah, and to have it, you know, and it's funny because 28 is the age that I also left corporate. And it's very unusual, you know, like people usually, you know, go that path for much longer before they leave. But there was something I was laid off three times in two years and I was interviewing for other jobs and I was 20 at the time and I'm interviewing for director and VP jobs, which of course that sound, Ooh, you know, that's what everybody would want. And I remember interview, they always give me the job because I'm a great interviewer. And I get, and I remember being back in my car after this interview and i was like i don't want that job i don't want to do i don't want to do that job and i called my husband and i said i'm not getting another job i want to follow my dream and he's like what dream like when you left here this morning there was no other there was no dream it was just getting another job and i was like no 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 i want to i want to have my own business i want to be an entrepreneur i do not want to get another job and And he had quit his job three months before as a chemical engineer to go to chiropractic school. So he was in chiropractic school full-time at the time. So me not getting another job was was a big deal. We didn't have, you know, kids at the time, but it was still quite a big deal. But I just knew like that was not my path. Like it was so like I needed a place where I could really integrate all parts of myself, at least that's what I, you know, knew at the time at twenty eight. So, seeing your age 28 turning point, I resonated with that. And I just, I think that's unusual in and of itself, but you also have age two and age eight. So you definitely have been on the path of authenticity for your whole freaking life. And I'm, I'm so happy to get to have this conversation and for my listeners to hear this conversation, because it's just so valuable. You have, you're like a rocket ship of authenticity that everybody Needs to be around to see that it's truly possible, and particularly this latest confession of you being a walk-in. And it's like you, people will hear you because of the experiences that you have and who, you, how you show up. People will hear you as that is an experience that is a legitimate experience that people have that can identify with, and it probably will explain for it will help them be more authentic because it will it will explain the mysteries probably many mysteries of their life.
1: Well, thank you for saying that because, you know, I've been, I obviously haven't wanted to say anything about it because it's so off the grid and a lot of people don't, you know, understand it. You know, I've had people along the way ask about my program and wonder, is your, is your program Bible-based? Well, what does that mean? Do you mean that I go to the Bible first before I wrote it? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, people have their guard up so much, like, you know, one of my clients, even the other day was like, I am so adverse to religion and to cults that I can't even like embrace meditation. You know, there's like such an aversion to, you know, when, when I feel like in a way I'm going to say this and I, to some extent is true, like, like in a way, everything is a cult is a religion. Is it like whatever you believe in, whatever serves you, whatever, has you believe in yourself, whatever has you live life fully because of the support of that particular doctrine, belief system, all the power to you, whatever serves you.
1: <laughs> that's right, whatever serves, that's being authentic, that's being authentic, that's your superpower, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so how me- did
0: you, how, when did you identify or discover the, the designation of I'm a walk in?
1: Let me see, it was about maybe 10. 10 12 years ago, I spoke. I had been at CEO Space and met a guy who invited me to speak at his spirit. kind. I had not spoken about spiritual things before, I only spoken about authentic people sense, it but I don't haven't really talked about it. And that was a big success. And
0: Did so, you when talk I, about your voices?
1: I don't, I don't, I don't remember what I talked about. I don't remember what I talked talk about. I have okay. no idea. But that led me to do a Google search for other spirit-based conferences. And I found a conference for the first walk-in conference. And I applied because over the years, I have been curious about, well, who am I? I've talked to people. I've had a number of mystical experiences. There's a book about mysticism that I read before, back in my 20s. And I lost the book among the years, but I made so many comments in there about experiences I had that were related to that. I talked to, I was Catholic for a while, but I talked to some Catholic nuns and about, I talked to several Catholic people, several people in multiple different arenas of of different energy. And no one could ever answer me. All said, you have something that's different, you know, but I don't know what it is. Nobody really knew what it was, but I knew it was something different. Uh, And I said, well, am am I psychic? Well, yeah. Am I mystical? Well, yeah. Am I this? Yeah, but I'm not this alone, you know. And I'm not that alone. But anyway, when I talked to Celeste Blue Star and applied to be a speaker and showed her my work, she said there is no way you could have done that work unless you were a walking because mm-hmm. it's too it's too aligned. The first horizontal line in my in my grid relates to the things you're born with, and that's that's how you think, and that's where your thinking comes from. The second line relates to either how you the world sees you, your values in the world. And the third line is to what you do and how you show up. And the first column, your inner voice and how you talk to yourself. And the second line, your outer voice and how the world perceives you. And the third column is the um, expressive voice and how you live your life and how you use your gifts and talents in the world. And then each of them have a different meaning. And that's with a 30 years of, of dissecting myself and society of researching astrology, numerology, Freud, I mean, just whatever I get my hands on, even without computers, you know, to research all that. And then writing, I wrote workbooks for each one of them that now are in my online school. Then all of these years, just stuff downloading and coming out. I just wrote, 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 wrote. And Spirit would not let me read, but, but what I was uh, led to read. It still presents to me the things, the information that I need. I don't get a lot of extraneous stuff that doesn't mean much but I'm led to read the things that relate to what I'm supposed to bring into the world. And so that's been, 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 been very clear. I forgot where I was going. Where am I going? So did I that's go? That's okay.
0: No, yeah. you know, yeah. I was asked, you know, when and how you, you know, came to identify as a walk-in. So and, that was with Celeste telling and me she, that. Yes, yeah, Celeste. Yeah. I was looking at you and saying, girl, <laughs> you cannot be, you cannot not be a walk-in with, yeah. you know, with <laughs> what you have, what you have created. And do you think that most people, or maybe even everyone, has the potential to have the connection with God that you do?
1: Absolutely yes. Excuse me, but yes, you tell me to use Yay, the
0: Yay! Got her to say "fuck." Yes.
1: <laughs> Without a doubt, everybody has the ability, but you just don't turn it on. Now, society does all it can to move you away from it, because if you have babies early, and I'm going to say before 30. If you have babies anytime before 30, chances are you are being moved away from your spiritual nature because you cannot focus. That's why, you know, my whole life was designed by God. And I say that because I had to stop full time working because of my ear, because the candida had gotten so bad, I couldn't do it. I was forced to figure out how to survive on my own. Didn't do as good as I'd like to do, but in the long run, I did. In the short term, it was very challenging. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, I, just, I chose not to have children. When I found out that I had fibroids and might need a hysterectomy, I borrowed my girlfriend's two, two daughters for a weekend, took them to SeaWorld and decided, I'm good, I'm good. So because <laughs> I, knew, I knew I couldn't do both. You, you know, you can't yeah. do both. But when you make certain decisions early in your life, you erase other opportunities. And that's why yes. a lot of people in your in your in your interviews, it it's not till they're 50 or 60 that they come to realize there's more to life because they spend all their time either probably doing both, working their butt their asses off. Now we can get real I'll get real with you. Working the asses <laughs> off so they can get the money to feed the babies that they had when they were under 30. Because yes. after 30 you count I mean when you're 20, you don't even know who you are. You're still your parents' version of who you are. You haven't lived enough life. You haven't met enough people yet. You know, I'm training my group now, and I have one person in my group who's 24 years old. Everybody else is over 50. And I'm training them to tell their story from their inner voice, their outer and their expressive voice. And she really can't get past her inner voice. And I'm real, I just realized it's week, she's not old enough. She hasn't lived enough life. You haven't even figured out what your inner voice is telling you. All you know is what your mommy and daddy told you or whoever else raised you and what they want you to be and their view of the world. They have one view out of millions of views you can have of the world. You can actually create your own view of the world, but you can't yes. until you experience some life.
0: Yes. And I'm hearing this and I'm and I'm looking at my own life and my own story. And I have a, a, bit, a little bit of a unique story in that this part isn't unique, but you'll see why it it lends itself to be unique. So two years after college, my mom introduced me to my now husband and we got engaged after three months and married within a year at 23, which was completely out of, I wasn't looking to get married. It was, you know, it just, it just like, you know, I was blessed in that way. And we did not have kids for 10 years. And that was very unusual. And we had to fend off a lot of, you know, inquiries and, you know, narrative from society and all that. We just kept saying, I just kept saying, no, not for a while. We're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. So I had my daughter, I think I was, I can't remember exactly 32 or 34, probably if I did a little math quickly, I could figure it out, but yeah, it was, you know, after age 30. And it's interesting that you that you say that because I do feel like we're now celebrating our 27th year married. And I think it's because we had 10 years, just the two of us. And we had 10 years to figure our shit out, which in that time is when I left corporate America and he left corporate and he became a chiropractor. And now he's on his third career since, you know, after that. So we're older parents, right? Like all my daughter's parents, you know, friends, parents are much younger, but I I do believe that that was really critical path for both of us to have that time without. And we only have the one, which is also somewhat unusual. And I really like one, like I really could do one. You know, I I just feel like I'm able to be the parent I want with one. And my daughter's very content with one, never was like, I want a brother or sister or whatever. She just like, she no, got, I am she got to- a
1: whole, she got whole parents. She didn't get half a parent. She got two whole people. And you know, when I directed preschool programs, one of the things I learned very early is that the children of the older parents, the 30 plus parents, were much calmer. They made more oh, sense. Yes. The young ones were just frenzied. They didn't have any, they didn't have, they had less self control. So it's an advantage everywhere, every which way you look at it, it's an advantage. It's for the mothers, for the parents, for the child, and for society as a whole, it's an advantage to wait. But no, society pushes you to have, you know, have the babies early, get stuck, let me, you know, get 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 beholden to me. And that's one thing I will say that I've never been beholden to anybody, anything except my relationship with God. There's no corporation, I haven't got any sponsors. I have. I don't owe anybody except you know my personal debts. This has been strictly me and God. And whenever I try to venture away, it's like nope. I need your full attention. So so wow. so that brings me to number eight in your commandments about stopping. And yes. uh, the biggest knowing
0: cha- that sometimes stopping is the most lucrative action to take. GFR commandment number eight.
1: Yes. Well, along my journey, the hardest lesson for me to learn is when I get a spiritual message, it doesn't always mean go do it now. Like when I started ah. the Bureau, I did it. Like you said, I'll, director one day, Bureau owner the next. It was pretty much like that. This is where you're going, Norma. This is where I'm moving. So uh, it's been a hard lesson to learn because in like, like any entrepreneur, especially in your beginning stages, there are ups and downs in times when there's not much money. And when those times come, you know, you get a little anxious, or at least I did, a little frenetic. What am I going to do? And I'm always figuring out what to do and always working out something. Well, I got to the point that I'm moving faster than God's plan for me. And so I got back from a speaking engagement that I thought went very well. And I was about to go to the market, going to get some food for myself and for my divorced husband who lived nearby, who moved close to me, going down the stairs, tripped and knocked my foot. On my wooden stairs and broke my heel, so my driving, oh. so I had to stay off my foot for four months completely. Now I live in oh
0: my god, live on
1: four levels. The bathroom's oh. on the top level. So the first thing I did was have some friends bring my little refrigerator upstairs, and I lived upstairs for a while. That was when that was 2014 when I had just got my diet right for the kidney stones, because I had. You know, my, the women in my family died of digestive cancers, and I had a, was reading an anti-cancer diet. And I had my first bout of kidney stones, multiple stones in both kidneys, and read what to eat and found out that the diet I was eating to, to combat cancer was contributing to the stones. And I had, I had my routine going. I had my weight right and wasn't getting any stones until 2014 when I couldn't even cook because I couldn't stand up and I couldn't even go downstairs. So that just changed everything in my business. So is that
0: is that where how spirit slows you down and has you has the plan unfold in the timing that is intended? Do you think
1: that's one of the ways? Well, certainly through surgery, through health, because each of my health situation, I've had had 13 surgeries have been very. That's
0: unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And for you to say that they're spiritual experiences or that you've had spiritual experiences, I just it feels so. Profound and possible and true, and so easy for us to miss it because it's so much easier to characterize it as a bad thing and a struggle and something you need to get through. And my mom, as we speak, is recovering from well, she had cancer. Her second cancer journey, first one was 30 years prior cancer. And then within months of recovering from cancer, got into a car accident and broke her neck and is now uh, recovering from a spinal injury and learning to walk and feed herself and all these things all over again. And I say that, I share that in the space of this conversation because you're characterizing physical health related things almost as like a way to throttle the way that God or spirit sort of throttles our, you know, the unfolding of our plan. And that it is intentional. And I know that. i I know at my core, my belief is that things happen for a reason, that there is there that it is if it's happening, it is because it's supposed to be happening. And yet, I feel like through this conversation with you, i I just I feel I can connect going forward. I feel like I can connect more openly to the divine design of the physical struggle. And I've had multiple, I, my, my physical struggle shows up more as chronic things versus surgical or, you know, acute things. And I know that like one of my chronic things has been headaches for my whole life. And I know that that has been a spiritual path for me to connect to myself more fully and, you know, on many levels. So I, I thank you for that. And I think it's going to be a great contribution to our listeners to really, to see those things as part of the design. And also, like you said, I just take three weeks off. And I really know that now too, about recovery. Like my, my clients, every time they have surgeries or something, Oh, I'll be back the next week. I'm like, no, you won't, (laughs) you know, no, you won't. It takes you two or three times longer to recover than the surgeon says for sure. You know, it's like, you know, and, and you're going to need just so much more time. It takes so much time. And we do not give ourselves time to evolve (laughs) through experiences.
1: We don't reflect. We just keep moving. We keep moving. Yes. So, you know, yes. I mentioned earlier that there were three things that my, my ear did when I was a child and I had forgotten the third and you remind me of what the third one is. Yeah. I
0: think the third thing is a great place to kind of, to bring our, com- this, this conversation. I'm going to have to have you back on the show because I, I, I feel like you're on the verge with, with you in your life at age 72, I feel like you are cooking with gas. And so I definitely want to have you back to see what happens a year from now. So I think. 73 yeah <laughs> 73 <laughs> like, oh, same yes all. <laughs> <laughs> so yes please for this final segment here tell us what tell us the third thing from the
1: third thing that uh my ear situation is it taught me to listen it taught mm-hmm. me to listen more <laughs> me when you're looking at your own health things I've I believe that there's a thread in life that continues to show up and part of it may be through your surgeries or through whatever but certainly through your through your voice coming to you but because my ear, was such a, a dramatic issue for me as a young child. The sensitivity, like Edward Cohen said, you changed. You changed mm-hmm. because I could hear differently. My aunt said I changed. I changed because I could hear. I became more em- empathic, more of an empath. So I could hear and feel. I could listen in a different way. I could listen to a person's spirit. I could listen to a person's soul. So it was mm. different. So I, a lot of the clients that I meet, they, they tell me in 10 minutes, God, you answer questions that I've been pondering for years because I can hear a person's soul in a new way. So whatever it is that's happening to you physically, you know, there is usually a deeper meaning, but it may take a minute to figure out what it is. It will unfold for you if you allow it to. And the thing that we miss that I offer so much in the programs, which is why they're so popular, is that reflection time and just taking time. I give you guided ways to reflect, but you have to take time to reflect. Otherwise, you just keep repeating the same old bullcrap. And what's the point? You know, we want to change. We want to evolve. We want to transform. We want to be better. And it's not being afraid. That's why I've gone from confusion and fear to confidence and trust, because I've learned to trust the inner voice. That is your best connection to your source, to who sent you here, to what you're about, to your purpose, to where you're going when you leave here, all of that. So it doesn't make sense not to stay connected. Listen.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Norma, this was as wonderful as I thought it would, even more than I thought it was. Thank you so much for being with us. i just delighted to spend this time with you.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's been a joy. And I thank you. Yeah, thank you.
0: Oh, my gosh. Was I right or was I right? She is an extraordinary human being. So to connect with her and to get all kinds of goodies from her, including her authenticity assessment, go to giftsfromnorma.com. link in the show notes. And then of course, if you are a GFR squad member, you will also get a bonus training with her, which I was fascinated. I was just licking it up like a kitty cat with milk. It was just, it's so good. If you're not a member of the GFR squad and even thinking about it, or you're just hearing about it for the first time, I open arms and tons of love invite you to join us. We meet once a month for our community confession call where we take one of the GFR commandments and we focus on that and we share and confess. And some people are full on video, you know, doing their thing. Some people um, just like to, to post in the chat or just like to be in a space where people are being authentic and being real and being accepted and loved for exactly whatever it is they share. So it is a pretty unique and special gathering. And if you're new or you're a little nervous, no worries. You know, there's no pressure. It feels very safe. Uh, Come hang out with me. I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you better. So go to gfr.life forward slash squad for more info. And it is super duper inexpensive, only 20 bucks a month by design so that uh, you just have to have a little skin in the game, but it's really meant to be accessible to everybody who wants to be in this GFR conversation, wants to hang out with me more, wants to meet some really awesome people. And then off course, make sure you have your GFR commandments. If this is your first time with us, or maybe this is your 10th time with us and you don't have your GFR commandments, you're missing out. So go to gfr.life forward slash 12 C also link in the show notes always for the GFR commandments. And you'll also get some really quick instruction on how to use them. But basically it is not a 12 step program, even though there's 12, (laughs) it is about picking the one that really is the one for you at any given time. And I keep learning more and more about them as our squad focuses on one a month. I think we've done it now three rounds and I'm learning, still learning stuff. If this was your first time, welcome. I am, whatever got you here, I'm so glad. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss any other amazing guests and inspiring stories. And that I will see you here next time, over and out for now.